now it's like a oh, what did you say a father son dynamic oh Ooh. god let's not maybe an uncle nephew dynamic I'm, i've had enough of father son dynamics i'm as mad as hell and i'm not going to take this anymore so you lie to yourself to be happy there's nothing wrong with that we all do it we all go a little mad sometimes come on one of you nuts has got any guts put a smile on that face you're only as healthy as you feel Listen to me! Listen to you, but what right? Because I have a right to be. I have a voice! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pop Culture Case Study. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle, a part of the following films network. And this week, after we've covered uh, Serenity, we are, of course, covering Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And to do that, I have the same person who you just heard a couple days ago talk about Serenity. I have Dwight Hurst from the Broken Brain Podcast. So thanks for being here, Dwight. Thank you, Dave. It feels like I was here recently. Yes, it's like you just were. And we have, like, this is now our second in a series of new release episodes without uh, grumpy Michael Denniston. So we're kind of bringing in a cadre of people to to replace Mike and his... Uh, ridiculous personality i gotta get like five or six people so so <laughs> to, you, <laughs> to add up to one michael yeah i mean it's it's a lot to live up to but but i have faith that you can do it so here's your challenge dwight talk about your show the broken brain in a way that was different than you did two or three days ago when we recorded on serenity go all right so uh the broken brain is all about that's well, all about life really dave it's all about no no i I wanted it to be good (laughs) and accurate you You said different you want it done right or do you want it done fast that's 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 a good point we have to ask ourselves uh no it's it's basically a therapist's point of view on the world because i'm a therapist and i actually started the show because I, i felt like a lot of the things that were available that had to do with psychology at the time but this was a few years ago Uh, Everything just seemed to be more lecture-based, more Mm -hmm. text-based and and research-based, which was cool. And I listened to those shows, but a lot of people who weren't in the field never listened to those shows. And so my goal was to say, let me bring some of that information in a way that's a little more lighthearted, a little more fun. Not always lighthearted, depends on the subject matter. But I feel (laughs) like when I hang out with other clinicians... Don't want to, like, crack jokes about suicide on your show? That's not... Yeah. We we try not not so (laughs) lighthearted. But... Try not to do that, but I find that when I work uh, with other therapists and other mental health uh, professionals, they're fun to talk to, and, and they have a really unique perspective on the world. And so that's what I'm trying to share is that kind of the experience that those of us who who do this for a living get when you're sitting in a case staffing. Mm. Uh, yes, you know. So, so I try to do that to highlight uh, cool things that are going on with mental health and interview some of the the game-changing research and some of the game-changing therapies that are being done. That's why you've been on it so much, Dave, because you're such a game-changer. I'm a game-changer, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I actually think your show and my show are really good complements to each other. I would encourage anyone who enjoys my show to check out yours, because mine is a little more limited. We are focused on kind of the pop culture aspect, but it is a little more, um, it makes psychology, I hope, a little bit more approachable. And it's not just like, well, I'm going to use a bunch of big words that you don't understand, and just trust me on this. And your show is the same way. Like, let me boil it down for quote-unquote normal people, like whether you have a college degree or you were a, you know, you got a GED and you went to work like i think both of our shows they're based on things you can understand and i think they could be really helpful so you should check out the broken brain and where can they uh where can they follow you on twitter dwight you can follow me at break a brain 
and that's where I tweet newest episodes and all of my various uh, online wars with Dave and Mike Denniston, I think. <laughs> Chris Revel also joins this sometimes, too. Yes. Nice. Mike Dennison, when he, when he shows up on Twitter once every three months, yes, he'll have something horrible to say. All right. So as I mentioned, this episode is about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And we kind of talked about uh, on our last episode how excited we both were. I mean, this is probably my favorite movie in the MCU was the original Guardians of the Galaxy. So I was really excited uh, to see this. So what was your reaction uh, this weekend to seeing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? Well, I went I went last night and I was I actually really enjoyed it, even a little more than I expected. I had read some mild reviews and things I I wasn't super worried about spoilers with this one. There is a spoiler ish, a few kind of spoilers, I guess you could say. It's not really a spoiler heavy movie. No, because uh, it doesn't like it's not like, oh, no, that exists in the MCU. There's some big, huge thing. And. That was actually a complaint I read uh, this review where someone said, well, if you, it's just like the first one. And for me, that was a compliment because I really enjoyed the first one. Right. I, I have said before on every podcast that I'm on, if you want to win me over to your movie, and that is usually the goal, me personally. Yeah, that's, that's they're me. marketing to Dwight Hurst in Utah. <laughs> that's <laughs> you, you want to have characters that are interesting and you want to have a story where at least the protagonists have a lot of heart. It, it, right. They may not be well-intentioned even, or they may right. have lots of flaws and problems. That makes them interesting. But it has to have a lot of heart. And I think that's one of the things about the Guardians franchise now, we can officially say, not just the movie, hmm. is that they have a lot of heart. And and even though, I don't know, like like Rocket Raccoon is one of the most relatable mm-hmm. uh, characters with, with his humanity – in the Marvel universe and he's not even a human. Right. So, yeah. So, um, how do I put this? So I liked it. Um, I, I think my expectations might've been a little bit too high. I saw a lot of people on Twitter and a lot of views saying it's the best Marvel movie yet. It's better than the first one, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. For me, it is neither of those things. Um, I think the first one is, I mean, it's, when it comes to Marvel movies, like for me, the first Guardians of the Galaxy is like the best for me. It's the best you can get. So it's a lot to live up to. And I, But I want to get out of the way saying that I did really like the movie and I enjoyed my two plus hours with it. And it kind of flew by. Like pacing wise, James Gunn knows exactly what he's doing because I was not – and it's a long movie. But there was no point where I was sitting there going like, oh, man, we got to wrap this up. I got to go to the bathroom. I got to – you know, even sitting through these like 19 uh, credit sequences that he put in the movie, I was still like, OK, this is great. This is fun. Um, But here's what I'll say as far as the negatives for me. I felt like, you know, I think what people are saying when they say it's more of the same, I feel like they figured out what people really took away from the first movie and they decided to take a sledgehammer to it and just show you as much as they could. I mean, the entire opening battle sequence is baby Groot dancing, which is adorable. And that was all people could talk about at the end of the first one. Cause it was in the credit sequence and it was adorable. And that stuff really worked. Um, the stuff with Drax being funny, I felt like was a little overplayed in this movie. Like they went way too far with it. And I was just like, it became actually almost a little mean spirited, a little cruel the way they were coming across. Whereas in the first one, it was just like, Oh, isn't this funny? He takes everything literally. And that stuff really worked in the first one where here it was, some of it worked and some of it didn't. Mm-hmm. And my other actual complaint, which was strange, which I didn't expect going in was the music and the music is fine. It's fun. It works. But I felt like, again, they realized that the first soundtrack was like this 
bestseller and people were talking about how great it was and how it fit. And this is amazing. And I felt like they were trying too hard in this movie. Like we have to do this again. And like, it's not like any of the songs stood out as bad, but it just, it didn't feel organic. It just felt like, well, we got to have a song here because we had a song here last time. So there was a lot of that in the movie where it felt like, you know, this is the formula that worked for guardians one. So we got to, we got to shoehorn this formula in again. And some of that just rang a little bit false for me. I could see that. Uh, I think they are open to that, particularly with the music. Uh, if they would have maybe had one or two less moments where the music lingered. I, yeah, one of the things that took me a little bit out of it is I did recognize, oh, this is a epic moment. Right. Instead of just having it be an epic moment, right? Because they have yeah. the moment where we're going from Ego's spaceship to Ego's house, and it goes just a little too long, at, at which it wouldn't have been too long if it was the only time where we had an extended right. music, thoughtful, right. music, thoughtful, right? And and that occurred to me while watching it, not just which on rewatch. You know, I've only which is usually once. not a great thing. <laughs> but that's not a good sign if you're noticing that. Is what I usually find. Uh, so well, yeah, I think I think that's with the music. That there was definitely a formula that they were like, and and for the second movie and to be well, it's a Guardians movie. You know, it's going to have cool music. Right. It's like you kind of knew that going in and they could have been a little more subtle about it. I'm with you on yeah. that. No, I think you hit you hit the nail on the head here is you mentioned like going from the spaceship to the planet. It went on a little bit too long. And that is everything about this movie is like every bit I felt like just went on a couple beats too long. And so none of the sequences themselves, it's not like there's a sequence in this movie that is bad or like that stands out as like, Oh God, they should just cut this whole thing. But everything goes on about two or three beats too long. And you're like, okay, we can, we can zip to the next thing now. Like this is supposed to be fun. This is an outer space adventure. Let's move forward. And you know, without giving too much away, like I think we can give away that Ego is is Peter's father. That's given away in the first minute of the movie. So it's not – And the articles they rev- right. released before the movie when they said, Kurt Russell is going to play his dad. They were right. not making that a secret. And, and given the music, especially near the end of the film, like they talk about – Talk about Sledgehammer, that this is about family and fathers and sons. And I mean, it almost felt like a Fast and the Furious movie. As much as they mentioned family, I was like, guys, like, let's, there was the let's line. scale it there back. There was essentially the line. Drax delivered yeah. it. Yeah. These aren't my friends. These are my family. And I was like, oh, we're not friends. Okay. We're family. <laughs> I was like, guys. <laughs> so there was a lot of that for me where I just kept – I was enjoying myself but kept kind of getting taken out of it and kind of just thinking like, OK, uh, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> we can reel it spoiler. in. Yeah, the big spoiler that we'll get to really kind of hammered that. Oh, this movie's about this topic, you know? right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I can see that, and I think they're open for that. I will say though, I also want to lean into it being actually more clever than it's getting a little bit of credit for. For example, even though Baby Groot is a hot item, Baby Groot dancing yes. is a hot item. I thought it was actually quite smart to open the movie that way yeah. because think of a movie like this. Typically there's that obligatory first action sequence and they really don't quite show it, which yep. is actually kind of clever. It, I'm not going to put it in the same category, but I mean, you remember uh reservoir dogs. It was always famous for, it's about a diamond heist that you, you never, never see, see it. Yeah, right. no, I and totally agree. So, when I was watching so, that, 
when I was watching when I was watching that first sequence, um, you know, because basically what's happening is you have Baby Groot dancing and there's this huge action sequence going on kind of blurry in the background. And I kept like trying to focus myself on the battle sequence and then just getting distracted by this adorable little tree dancing. I'm like, fuck it. Who cares? I'm just going to watch this and like whatever happens to come in to my field of view. Like, that's great because uh, it really works. And it, you know, it also is a battle sequence with a creature that we have no connection with. So it wouldn't really matter in the end anyway it would have to be so incredibly cool for us to care so like let's just show this cute thing in the foreground and we're just gonna have a good time with it and i did like the way that it set the movie up i think the two positives i really want to focus on so i'm not just like hey this wasn't as good as i wanted it to be fucking movie podcaster bullshit is uh i feel like kurt russell um and michael rooker are the stars of this movie I think all the all the Groot and Rocket stuff works just as well as it works in the first movie. Like I am I'm completely on board for that stuff. Like you could have, you know, uh, two hours just with Rocket and Groot and I would be ecstatic because that's just that stuff just works for me. Um, But Michael Rooker as Yondu, I thought was the the best emotionally driven stuff of the film and even more so than the father and son stuff with uh, with Ego and Peter Quill. Like I just thought his arc in this movie really worked. And Michael Rooker is one of those character actors who's been around forever, who doesn't get enough credit. And I think he's a really good actor. And I think he he shows it in this. It's probably one of the best performances I've seen in a comic book movie in a long time. Like obviously Logan came out this year and there were some good performances there. You know, the dark Knight had some great performances, but if you talk about like MCU movies, like this might be near the top for me as far as individual performances. It really, it, it kind of shows how you can still have the fun comedic vibe and then have a real meaningful emotion. If you right. do it well, uh, I agree with you. I think he, he was really the heart of the movie and and they they did it in such a way. I'm sure that that was purposeful. That he it was more because obviously the dynamic you know was part of the plot line there towards the end. Yes, uh, the the whole father dynamic, father son dynamic was was an obvious part of this. And Yondu's performance actually, in some ways, in some ways, it, it, it's telegraphed, but it also kind of snuck up on you. I think because you're not expecting such an emotional performance. So, yeah. Yeah, I I think the chemistry between all the people is what makes this work. Yeah, it has um, to. Yeah, if you're gonna have a yeah. team movie, like <laughs> it better. Yeah, and that, I think that's one of the reasons. That's one of the things that that uh, Civil War would open for a real complaint. And and while I actually enjoyed Civil War a lot more than a lot of people did, I also understand that nobody. It was cool. We all wanted to see that fight scene where they all fight each other, kinda. But emotionally, I don't think any of us did. Right. <laughs> it's like, or it didn't see, matter. It was just like, okay, this is a cool thing to see, but we don't feel right. much here because it wasn't handled particularly well. And then when you see Tony Stark and and Captain America fighting at the end, and they're all just going all out on each other, like are they actually trying to kill each other at this point? Right. And that's it was a little jarring. Like, I, and I know that's kind of what they were going for, but I don't know. The 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 way that the Guardians does it, I think, is in some ways more believable. Which believable is a weird thing to say well, about. Well, I this think kind of I think it also that. works better in a Guardians movie because the Guardians, like, let's be honest, this is like an F level uh, comic book. Like, nobody read this. Com- it wasn't like I mean, Iron Man's like a B or C level hero. Guardians is like this is this weird outer space thing. So, literally in these movies, there's there's a sense of risk 
where it's like, oh, they could write one of these characters out and we could still continue this. Where like, you know, at least right now, like they're not in that movie, they weren't going to kill Iron Man or Captain America. Like it's just not going to happen. So it comes off a little bit false. Whereas here there does there are some real stakes. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And even I, I felt like the way that they've re like resurrected Groot in some ways uh, at the end of the first movie, I thought that kind of did away with his sacrifice of giving himself up. A little bit. But actually, you don't necessarily get the idea that this is the same Groot. Yeah, we like, don't really know. Son or, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, and I think at least in this movie, he is. I mean, it's weird to say because it's still a character that has says three words. Um, but it does feel like a different character than the group from the first one. They have, especially between him and Rocket, there's a very different interaction where Rocket now feels like he has to spend all of his time caretaking for Groot. Whereas in the first one, he was like, you know, I got to watch out for him, but he's still like a 10 foot tall tree who could dominate any fight he's in. And it was more, it was more reciprocal. It was like brothers. And yes. now it's like, a, a, what did you say? A father son dynamic? Oh Ooh. God, let's not. Maybe an uncle nephew dynamic. I'm, <laughs> I've had enough of father son dynamics. So speaking of the I, family stuff, I think, I think the, where it falls flat for me is the, um, the sisterhood angle they take. I felt like that was really kind of ham fisted. And like, I mean, there's literally lines about in this where you're like, all I wanted was a sister. And I was like, really? Is that is that where we're going with this? Like that stuff didn't really work for me. Yeah. Well, I think I think you have to be careful how hard you set up. It's the old Mm -hmm. I think of it as the Ebenezer Scrooge rule for storytelling. Uh, I've seen depictions of a Christmas carol where, where Ebenezer Scrooge is the way Charles Dickens wrote him, which is he's just kind of a a a selfish like guy who's walled off his heart mostly because of trauma and pain. Right. Uh, but you watch some movies where he is the biggest bastard in the world <laughs> right. at the beginning. And it's hard to believe at the end. So then it comes off as I lord over my money over everyone. And then at the end, I just give them stuff and they like me. And that's a, <laughs> isn't that how life works? <laughs> give them stuff and they'll like me. <laughs> Christmas Carol. So yeah, they put so much into the animosity between these two characters. Right. To where it's like, I just want to murder her more than anything. And then it's like, hey, thanks for helping me out of that fire. Um, and I love you. Yeah. Like, wh- so, what? <laughs> a little, yeah. I Now, I, I will say this, though. I didn't want it to go. I, I wondered when Gamora picks up, which, by the way, awesome action moment when she picks up that huge gun and just blasts the hell out of that space. So ridiculous, but so much fun, yeah. which is what so these much. movies should be. Right. And then... I thought to myself, well, what do I want here? Because I knew, I figured she was going to save her, you know, and like they would not want to kill each other for some reason. I was like, I already saw that coming. But I thought, what do I want here, though? Do I want her to just kill her and let her die and be like, well, because to be honest, the way they set it up, that was the right thing to do. Right. (laughs) This person has been hunting you across the galaxy, trying to murder you. (laughs) And she's a legit bad person who will continue to hurt other other beings. So I was like, what do I want? You know, do I want her to kill her? I mean, or do I want them to do a quick and it's one of my pet peeves in movies is when you have a quick personality change of like, don't worry, I'm on your side now. So I felt like that was probably the weakest relationship thing in a movie that mostly handles relationships fairly okay. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I kind of mentioned the other standout in this movie to me is Kurt Russell uh, playing playing Ego, playing Peter's father. Um, my only complaint, I think, is that I'm starting to think Chris Pratt is not that great of a stage presence, uh, screen presence, rather. Um, I think he's really good in the first one. I think he was, and then he's been in a couple other movies that are 
you know, not great Jurassic World, not the best movie in the world. Passengers is pretty terrible. Uh, and it's a and those are movie star roles that he can't quite carry. And I think in the scenes between him and Kurt Russell, like you can tell which one of these is a movie star and it ain't Chris Pratt. Uh, I think I think Kurt Russell kind of, you know, blasts him out of the park in the scenes they're in together. Uh, and I felt like because of that, the movie and we'll talk about this more in spoilers, I'm sure the movie feels the need to kind of repeat itself on why Peter is maybe upset later in the movie and in ways that probably aren't necessary. And that's just because, like, I just didn't feel like Chris Pratt was giving that much. I feel like he's really good. When he's working with Yondu and working with Rocket and he has this team atmosphere and he's like the kind of Han Solo-esque character, I think that stuff really works. But when he's forced to like really go down and do some emotional work, he's just not in the same class with Kurt Russell. Hmm. That's an interesting point. I I can see him really having uh, uh, a, a range that he hasn't really tapped into yet. It's possible. So I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm ready. I, and I haven't seen as many bad movies of his. Um. If that makes sense, I didn't see Passengers mostly because I heard about it, and yeah, you, you've heard enough. Don't go see it; it's terrible yeah, and rapey. So let's. Well, just... that was the thing for me. It's <laughs> yeah, that whole rapey vibe. I just have a huge problem with that. It's yep. hard for me to to suspend uh, disbelief yeah. enough. And don't put your time. money towards that. That's <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, and and so I don't know if I'm ready to write him as as ready to write off his entire career and uh, banish him to hell forever as you are. Well, it uh, doesn't take much for me. One bad movie, and I'm like, get off like my screen. How dare you? <laughs> I may be mischaracterizing. You, I just feel like said. Chris Pratt probably is really good in in certain roles, but I think this maybe asked a little too much of him. And maybe at this point of his career, maybe he gets better from here. Who knows? Yeah. No, I think you're right. Uh, I think that could be – there was an interview with Harrison Ford a few years ago that I saw when he came out with some movie, and it wasn't one of his big ones. Uh, I think it was the one where he played a computer programmer whose family was taken hostage, whatever the hell that was called. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. All right. I mean, it wasn't a terrible movie, but it wasn't great. And and it was kind of laughable to think of Harrison Ford being a computer programmer, I guess. <laughs> but so so one of the things that uh, he said in the interview, the, the interviewer, whoever it was, Jimmy Fallon or whoever said, oh, you know, you're one of the best actors, you know, one of the greatest actors of our generation or something like that. Uh, and... <laughs> And I love Harrison Ford, but come on, let's go. Harrison Ford corrected him, and he said, "Well, he said, I mean, let's let's be honest. I think I'm, I think I'm very good at playing certain characters. Good for I him. <laughs> very said, few oh, people, very few actors have the self awareness to say something like that. Like, yeah. no, I'm good in this box, <laughs> but I'm not. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, you know, for our generation, I'm not Daniel Day Lewis. I'm not like the greatest of our generation. Right. I'm really good at the kind of cocksure pilot. I'm really good at that role, but I don't know about the greatest of our generation. Well, and he's one. Uh, he is one. Uh, uh, Kurt Russell's one that that consistently surprises me. I don't know why I forget that he has that ability because I think he's one that has largely been put into yep. kind of silly action roles or one that has been put into that Harrison Ford yes. casting type of thing. But every so often you see him in something, and you're like, oh wow, he actually is. He's acting the hell out of that yep. that you know person, and that's really what you want, particularly in a movie villain, which is one of Marvel's other critiques, is that their movie villains lack substance a lot of times. And I felt like Ego was one of the better ones. 
Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think at this point we're going to kind of lead into spoilers, but just kind of like last words. I think this is a good Marvel movie. I think this is a good movie overall. I I don't feel like it's better than Guardians or the best of MCU. Like I don't think it I don't think for me it even gets to the level of like Winter Soldier um or the original Guardians or the original Avengers. Um but it's a good time. You know, if you want to go out to the movies and have a blast for a couple hours and it's it's beautiful to look at it's fun to experience and I have no regrets about seeing it, but I think it, you know, calling it the best of anything might be going a little too far in the, in the excitement of a new release. But what about you last words before I, we go? To I the would say list? very similar to yours, except one, I, I probably was a little more into it because I really loved the interplay of those characters. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this was true enough and consistent enough to those characters from the first one that it, for me, it just felt like an extension uh, like I could just watch them back to back and be like, it was one big long thing and that's cool, you know? Right. So I, I just, I would watch these talented on this ensemble cast do almost anything right. together. If that makes sense. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. All right. So let's go to spoilers. Spoilers. What? Read ahead. Spoil all the surprises. Not peeking at the end. Isn't traveling with you one big spoiler. That's classified. That's what? He's classified. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. All right. So I mentioned earlier about like the movie because of maybe because of Chris Pratt's performance, maybe because it's just in the script, feeling the need to deliver a message more than once. We find out later in the movie, not only did Ego, you know, was he Peter's father, impregnated his mother, but we find out he murdered his mother, gave her brain cancer and killed her, essentially. And impregnated thousands of mothers across thousands of planets and then murdered all of the offspring of those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So true villain. Go ahead. I have to ask ask, this happened in my theater where there's that part where he has the eggs that the, those, those circles that circle around and they show these weird, like this weird museum he's made of his life. (laughs) Uh, And so, of course, if you were around for millions of years, you might, yeah, you got nothing but time for record keeping. (laughs) So, you know, it goes from showing him kind of like making out with, uh, the, you know, the mannequin of him making out with the mannequin of Chris Pratt's mother. Then it, it flips around and it shows him doing that with all of these His aliens. banging right? museum. Like, like, like all yeah, the they, aliens I fucked. Look at this. Yeah, it's this huge board. And I laughed when Same. that happened. Same. I thought it was a joke, but no one in the theater laughed where I was. I was just like, ah! <laughs> it, was like a, it was like Drax, you know, where yeah. I, I the only one. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, I mean, we're... I think it was designed to be creepy, but it did come off as comical to me. And I think some of it is just the animation and some of the poses that were in that sequence because he's not only having sex with humanoid looking creatures. There's a lot going on there. Um, but I think the thing that stood out to me is like he tells him, like, basically, I murdered your mom. Eh, my bad. Um, and he's already upset by this. But then later they have the extra sequence of him crushing the the walkman with his mom's his mom's tape in it and i felt like we already get it like we already know he's upset we already know he needs to fight through this like what and i think to me the most affecting moment of that entire scene is yondu telling him like i don't i don't i don't use the the arrow with my mouth i use my heart like that that is the moment and that's when he realizes he can use this light and this energy to to fight against ego so i just felt like there was a lot of repetition of like we already get the emotion we're not idiots like let's just move forward yeah i can see that i i I do think it set up for what i thought was a very good joke in the middle of a very emotional fight scene 
at least uh, when when he says you shouldn't have killed my mom and you shouldn't have crushed my walkman it came <laughs> yeah. across as like a teenager saying to his dad like yeah that's true something. so i think that were the the crushing the walkman i i will forgive it because it's set up for that excellent joke yeah i um, mean in in essence like in a vacuum i like it because it's the ultimate symbol of his mother but i felt like there was so much build up to it that it was just a little bit too much for me. And I don't, and there's gotta be a way to frame that scene better. That's not just like, I'm going to tell you what's wrong and then I'm going to show you what's wrong. Like pick one, either one is fine. <laughs> yeah. It just kind of like step on it or something. I don't yeah. know what it would be, but yeah, I did like, I did like that he had no hesitation. Cause that, that's annoying in movies sometimes when it's just kind of like, I'm mad, but I got to fester on it for a while. And he doesn't. He shoots him in the face yeah. immediately. <laughs> yeah. And he says – and I don't know that he's under the impression that that will kill him. Right. Because uh, I think he knows he's immortal, but he knows it will hurt him. And he just shoots him over and over again immediately of saying like, no, we're done. You killed my mom and there's no anything. Right. Uh, and so that that's where I thought it was. And, and I don't know if they were bolstering Pratt's acting technique by giving him action to do right then. It's possible. But I think your, that works. But I think it. that yeah. scene worked really well. And and the other thing is some great effects when it comes to ego, like both the that scene where his, his face is officially shot off and then kind of regrows. And then a scene later where he goes from planet to humanoid figure back again and kind of starts with like the bones and, you know, the blood and the nerve yeah. shove. I mean, yeah. that stuff is really, really cool. What I right. what I didn't like is we find out also in this movie that as long as this planet is around and this light can be gained from it. Both ego and Peter Quill can't be killed. And here's why that pisses me off. Because for me, it takes away the stakes of the first movie because now I would watch the first movie and every scene that Peter is in where he almost dies. You're like, nah, he won't though. Cause he's yeah. immortal. And I don't like, I don't like stakes being taken away. I like that given the end of this film, we have stakes again because that planet is gone and destroyed and ego yeah. is taken care of. So now Peter is at risk again, but it was just like, but that you takes know, away all I, the cool stuff from the first one. I think, and I think you could have fixed that with one line, right? He could have just said, I'm immortal. And he could have said, well, now that you've come back to this planet. Yes. Right. 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 That's all he had to say. Done and done. Uh, no problem. Yeah. yeah. But then again, they probably didn't care. Yeah, there's there's probably a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I of course the other big spoiler here is that Yondu um, dies, and so spoiler alert for that he sacrifices himself, and there's the not so subtle kind of like father son thing. And I I was wondering how you felt about that because I think they executed it very well for this movie. I don't know that it fits in with the way Yondu interacted with him in the first movie, but as I'm going over it in my mind. Maybe it was okay. I don't know. I, they, it they, really worked for me, man. I, I felt it, like emotionally it really worked because I think I think it worked not because of his interaction with Peter, but because of discussions he has with Rocket. Where there's emotions that he has been obviously not open about. Right. And you uh, see, yeah. like, and you find out. And I love that you have that moment between him and Peter. Like, did you really think that's why I kept you? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, that's not what's going on well. here. It's a little bit of revisionist history, but I think it really, really works. And their their kind of last interactions really work between Peter and Yondu. And I also like that for people who are fans of the comic, Yondu was a guardian of the galaxy. And I like that they officially made him a guardian right before they kind of wrote him out of these movies. So he got his moment to shine. He got his hero moment. 
And I will say, apparently, uh, one of the teen uh, uh, credit sequences you mentioned shows Sylvester Stallone and his like pre Guardians of the Galaxy thieve pirate movement. Yes. And I guess I looked that up because I'm not a big I don't know the Guardians comics. Apparently, that was the team that Yondu was kind of on. Yes. Before, like, so that's some kind of a tribute, deep cut to Marvel super fans. Yeah. I don't. We'll ever see those people again. I mean, there was quite a bunch of talent, so. You know, yeah, it's a lot to gather, stuff. but if anyone could do it, it's the multi-billion-dollar corporation yeah. that is Disney Marvel. I um, wouldn't be surprised if they show up in uh, the next Guardians, exclusively Guardians movie. Yeah, uh, maybe not the the Infinity Wars, but who knows? Yeah, at this point, who knows? I think you and I are in that movie. I mean, everyone's in yes, the exactly. Movie. Yeah, I think uh, the last thing I kind of want to talk about is my favorite scene of the movie. I feel like, uh, from an action perspective, the best scene is Yondu's escape from prison and it kind of starts out in a really cute way with you know Groot trying to get his his fin and I think that stuff again goes on a little bit too long but it's still a really enjoyable sequence but his escape and the music it's set to and the the arrow and kind of destroying the ship like that stuff worked on me a hundred percent like I was like okay this is what I wanted like this is music that really fits and feels organic and is slightly off kilter to what's going on and the special effects going on and there was one bit where the arrow knocks the lights out and all you see is the arrow zipping around and and I was like oh my god this is so cool this is what I wanted like that little five minute sequence that's the guardians I want that's the like the fun the violence the special effects and it all really worked the, the correct use of slow motion walking yes Yes, and it all, not only that, not only correct use, not only did it look cool, but it fits the character. There's so many times when you see slow motion walking away from explosions, when all through the rest of the movie, that character is really, really thoughtful and really, he's like a tactician, but now he's just going to be like, but wait, this looks cool, so I'm going to walk real slow. But with Yondu, it makes sense, because he's still controlling the the action of the battle in those moments, because all he needs is his mouth and apparently his heart, we find out later, to to take care of that. And it all really, really works. And also the interactions with, with Rocket in that sequence, I just thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. I, I, I'm with you on that. I think they did good with action sequences. They they did – that is also where they did more showing rather than telling. Uh, for example, one of my favorite moments is – I, I have I have a soft spot for Drax, even though I agree with you, they really overdid the social. Right. Uh, they, they were really hammering it home because people really liked it last time. Mm-hmm. But one of the reasons people liked it, and not everyone knows this, is that the members of the autistic community actually have identified with Drax as like an autistic superhero. Yeah. Um, and and he's also someone who you can get behind as a role model kind of person in a lot of ways. I mean, he's decidedly a violent person, but he is he has a code of honor. Mm-hmm. He, he tries to do what's right, even though he doesn't know what's always polite. And so uh, the the moment where where this is best exemplified for me, where they were using action to make an emotional point, is when he's carrying Mantis back to the ship and he starts falling into this quicksand. And that that action sequence was very good because they show everyone continuing to fight, even when it's completely hopeless. Yeah. Um, you know, the two sisters are trying to climb up. They're being pulled back into this chasm. The entire planet is fighting them and they're still fighting back. Yeah. And that to me captures one of the things I love about this franchise is they're these lovable loser pirate heroes that are like, we'll just keep, you know, you can, you can hold me down and, and kill me, but I'm still going to jab you in the eye while you're doing it. Right. To my last breath. Yeah. Right. And in Drax's so case, not he, only is he fighting, but he's, 
helping someone else survive above himself, literally and figuratively. And, and when he's being sucked under the, the sand, the moment I really love is when he lifts Mantis up yeah. above his head just so that she can stay alive as long as he can possibly keep her alive, yeah. which is is a hopeless gesture in some ways, but yet hopeful in the face of hopelessness. Yeah, there you yeah, go. absolutely. Nice. All right. Uh, I think that about covers it for uh, for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I think we both liked it. it you might have liked it like just a tiny bit uh, more than I did, but it's a really enjoyable watch. And it's just seven percent more than you did. Yes, seven percent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's a lot of fun and something I definitely recommend to comic book fans and non comic book fans alike. Like, I think it is a fun ride. It is a it's a perfect blockbuster. Like, this is this is what you want out of it. Like, it's not going to change your life. It's not the best thing ever, but it's really fun. You have a really good time watching it. And really, what more can you ask for from a comic book movie than I had a good time? Well said. Yeah. All right, so uh, before you take off, uh, why don't you tell us one more time uh, how to contact you online so they can uh, tell you how wrong you are about everything because that's what Twitter is for. Exactly. Tweet at me at BreakABrain or you can email me at DwightHurst at gmail.com. You can also find The Broken Brain on iTunes, Stitcher, or uh, CoreTempArts.com. It's a member of the CoreTempArts network of podcasts and uh, any of those work. Nice. So we are going to take a little break and then come back with Fangirl Fixation. This week, we will, of course, go over the new movies that are coming out next week. But in Brit's Film Education, we are going to take a look at another really fun science fiction movie about aliens called Attack the Block. So stay tuned for that. This is Chris Maynard. I'm host of the following films podcast. Every week I discuss a current release with one of the creative forces behind the film. Whether it's Giles Nutkins talking hell or high water, Leah Thompson discussing her work on Trouble with the Truth, or Jeremy Sonny chatting about his work on Deep Water Horizon. You can find our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or any place you find podcasts. Even better yet, you can go to followingfilms.com, check out our latest episode, get some film news, reviews, and all sorts of goodness. Uh, that was my son Jacob. He says hello, and he really wants you to check out the show. Okay, we're back, and it's time for Fangirl Fixation with Brit. Say hello, Brit. Hello. This is why she's saying hello, because Brit's drinking, so she's ready ready to talk more. Yeah? You feel yes. better? I okay. Uh, anything you want to talk about other than our Brit's film education or the movies that are coming out this week? Anything on your mind? Besides how awesome Tiny Groot is. Tiny Groot. Oh, yeah, we wanted to talk about, you wanted to talk about Guardians, uh, since you actually saw that with me. Yeah, I don't know if I can, like, say anything that doesn't have spoilers, though, because all my favorite parts are, well, they're oddballs, but still, like, I think you need to experience them for yourself. Okay. So, did you like it? For the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Tiny Groot. Tiny Groot's great. Baby Groot is cute. Yeah. And they knew that, man. Yeah. That opening scene, they really just milked it. Yeah. So so Groot is really what did it for me, obviously. Um, good action sequences like they always have. Mm-hmm. Good cast that like has good chemistry together. Definitely. Uh, the CGing of Kurt Russell is still oh. weirding me out. Yeah, yeah. Not really yeah, a spoiler. The... It's the first thing you see. No, I mean, we uh, when I did the review with Dwight, we kind of talked about him being his father because they show that in literally the first scene of the movie Mm -hmm. um and yeah they have young uh quote-unquote young kurt russell like they did with uh robert downey jr and uh michael douglas in previous movies and it's just creepy yeah it's just creepy i get i don't and i don't know why like going 
backwards is creepy for me because like there will be other movies where they obviously age an actor for something to be like their future self. Well, I think and that when they seem to bother me as I much. think when they make them young, they tend to make things look too perfect. Like everything is perfectly smooth, um, and human beings don't look like that. Yeah. Whereas when they're you know aging someone up. They're adding to it. And also practical effects versus CG. Usually, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Or at least half and half. Yeah. Like even, uh, you know, when they aged uh, Peggy Carter in the uh, yeah, that, Captain America Yeah, that was movies. all practical was makeup though. Yeah. So. yeah, it is weird and it gets to that like in CGI terms, they call it like the uncanny valley where like you can't really pick out why but something feels yeah. wrong, and it definitely has that to it. Yeah. Uh, Marvel needs to get off of their, like, end credit sequences. I'm tired of that shit. There was a lot. <laughs> I just... There was, there was too much. And it wasn't... And it's something that it was, like, most of that didn't need to be so spread out. Yeah, I mean, you could have just done them back to back to back to yeah, back. Yeah, so if, it been if fine. you're going, just be prepared that you actually have to sit through all of the damn credits. Yep, all of it. And it's, you know, I guess the only good thing I think about end credit sequences is like, granted, you probably, most people probably won't read it, but at least people who worked on the movie get their name seen by, by, by the audience instead of like, oh, credits are on, I'm out of here. And Guardians did like a very cute thing with it. So. Yeah. Yeah. They had some fun with it, which yeah. was nice. Yeah. So liked it overall. Did you like it better than the original Guardians? No. Where do you, I mean, granted, it's hard well, to say like where it ranks, like where is this like mid-range stuff? Is this really good is this like bottom of the heap for marvel like where uh, is this I think at it's mid-range i think i think they they suffered from what they usually do with most of their second movies for something of like oh everybody really liked that thing that we did so we're gonna hammer that yeah so yeah. let's like beat it into you sure um and i think like by the time they do the third movie then they'll figure it back out again just like they did with iron man right um yeah yeah, it's but yeah, it's it's getting to a point with Marvel that I don't know. I think I think Are you finally getting to superhero fatigue? Is this finally happening to you? I didn't think this day would ever come. I well, so the problem is is like I wound up liking Winter Soldier more than I'm liking Guardians of the Galaxy the second movie. And so I'm I'm questioning like myself a lot here <laughs> i think winter soldier is just to me it's a better film like i think it stands alone yeah. where i think to really enjoy guardians volume two you you have to enjoy the first one and you've got to be tied into it whereas winter soldier i feel like you could you could walk in blind and it's still a good movie i also feel like winter soldier gave you more subtle tie-ins to the other movies mm -hmm. um like they place things in a more strategic way like, you know, Black Panther. Right, right. Like, setting him up for his movie. Like, they did it in a way that was much more elegant than what they're doing with Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. And, like, granted, it's Guardians of the Galaxy, so elegance is not a thing. Yeah, especially with um, who's directing it. Like, you know, you got to start in horror movies, so you're not looking for elegance from right, James Gunn, necessarily. Right. And there was just, there was just, like, there were some weird moments for me. There was, there was some points that I'm like why are we focusing on this so much and like mm. I said like I had I wanted there to be that extra twist at the end right um but apparently I just need to start writing <laughs> apparently yeah yes yeah so overall good had a good time but not something you're gonna like rant and rave about about how great it is no but I will give it this it did not feel like a two-hour movie it felt shorter yeah and I think it, it was longer than two hours yeah so, it, so if 
It not only kept my attention, but it kept my attention after 10 p.m. Right, and that is a damn near a miracle. Yeah. So, well done, James Gunn and MCU. All right, so now we move towards Brit's uh, film education. So, this week we were kind of looking at, you know, not necessarily lighthearted, but fun uh, fun alien movies. So we, Oh, I was like, what the hell did we watch? <laughs> we'll get remember. there. I'll remind you. Don't worry. So earlier in the week, uh, we did an episode on Serenity to tie in with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And the movie we watched for Brett's Film Education was Attack the Block. Oh, right. Um, so I, I chose that not because necessarily it's like a classic, but it is one of those movies that every time it comes up, I'll ask Brett, like, hey, didn't you see that? And he'll be like, nope, don't know what you're talking about. So it's a way for me to finally make her watch this movie. So uh, what did you think of Attack the Block starring John Boyega, uh, pseudo star of the Star Wars franchise at this point? I actually didn't really care for it. Really? Yeah, I was bored with it for most of the time. And I don't know, I can't quite pinpoint what it was, but there was some major disconnect for me. Um, So when did it lose you? I think from the very beginning, I just didn't care about anybody. So one of the things I thought of as I was watching this is it it, it challenges itself. It, it sets up something really difficult. Is the very first scene essentially is these kids robbing this woman, and they become your protagonists, murdering an well an alien. But I mean, right? Still, but the alien like, did attack them. It scratched his face, and then he went after and killed it. Right. Yeah. So you set up this, you know, this kind of this protagonist that at best is flawed. You know, someone who is a criminal. So it becomes, I think it becomes a little more difficult to root for him, maybe. So did you feel that? Did you feel like it was hard to root for this group of kids? No. It's like, so that's the thing is like that overall, the idea of the story should have been something that I liked and enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just didn't pull me in. And I don't know what it was. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was like the storyline, if it was the acting. Um, but yeah, like there would be like big chunks of stuff. That I wasn't paying attention to, and I still knew where I was in the movie when they came back. Mm-hmm. I think it is a pretty to, simple story. Yeah, um, I did like the way the aliens looked. Yeah, the creature design I think is really smart because you can tell this is not a movie with a huge budget. Yeah. So essentially, they have this kind of like these amorphous shapes that are just all black, and then all you see is the light from the from the teeth. Right. You know, so it's a really cheap way to make a cool looking creature. I did like the interactions between the boys. Like, I think they mm-hmm. did a good thing, like, or good job of setting up the relationships between the boys. Yeah. Um, and you could actually tell them apart. It yeah, wasn't like, just like, oh, random teenager. This might be just one of those movies where I have to watch again when I'm not in a funk. Because, mm-hmm. like, that was a night that I wasn't, like... In the best mood. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. What did you think of John Boyega in particular? Like... We were kind of talking about, I had mentioned after the movie, like how crazy Hollywood and stardom can be that like basically he was in this and then pretty relatively soon after that got discovered and was in Star Wars and is an international star now. So put yourself in the position of someone who is like, you know, a casting agent for for Disney, for Lucas. If you saw this movie, would you say like, oh, that's someone we should watch? Like he's interesting. Or did it not grab no, you? Yeah, like, I'm not really sure what they saw that made mm. them want to put him in the Star Wars franchise. I mean, he was good in it, mm-hmm. but I, not unless they were just, like, paying attention to the last 30 minutes of the movie. Like, I feel well, like... Well, I think he, he grows a lot in that right, last 30 minutes. Right, and that's what I'm saying. Like, the majority of this movie, he doesn't have much range. Yeah, but I, I think... I think he has very subtle 
emotions in the last 30 minutes that make you more drawn to the character. And mm. I think if I had that more throughout the movie, right. I would have been more interested in this. Yeah, I think uh, the way I took that, I agree with you. I agree that most of his most of his emotional range is shown in the last 20 to 30 minutes of the movie. But I would argue that given the situation that this character is in, that this kid is in, there's not a lot of room for him to have emotion. He doesn't have a family life. He doesn't no, have anyone yeah. to protect him. So he has learned to kind of be tough and be like, you know, not emotional. That's fair, but, but it's still like one of those things for me that it made it hard like, for it you did. to access. Yeah. Okay. Did you have any favorite moments of the movie? Were there were there things that stood out to you? Like even just like action. You mean moments? like how another dog dies and you didn't tell me? I like, didn't know. Just keeps I forgot. Because yeah. dogs this die is... all the time in movies. They just kill them off because because it makes you feel bad for the people involved, and it works every fucking time. It's true. Why do you think that does the dogdie.com website exists? Yeah, I know. Now Dave, but because of the last time that I checked it for myself, now Dave has to check it and will let me know if I'm allowed to know how the dog dies. Yeah, I don't want you to spoil uh, a moment of the movie. <laughs> I need you to start checking that before you make me watch a movie. So when I say favorite scene, I mean something you liked. Oh. So is there something you liked? <laughs> What's your favorite I, scene? Okay. The dog died. Whoa. My favorite, my favorite scene was with the, the two younger kids when they like lighted on fire. Oh, because yeah. Because at first I was like very confused because I think I, because I was like not paying attention to most of it. I think I didn't realize that the, uh, the water gun was filled with gasoline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so like that was like a bit of a shock to me because I wasn't paying attention. I'm sure they brought it up some other point in the movie. They did. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. So whatever. Um, so I like that. Like I like that the, the kids like essentially save somebody else but not mm -hmm. really yeah i mean I, I i think i just like the idea because you usually don't see an alien invasion movie set in like a low-income neighborhood and i thought that was like a really neat thing to take a look at like how these kids would interact how they would try to survive I that maybe know, rich kids wouldn't be able to do i want to know if buildings actually look like that in those areas though because it felt very fifth element to me and it did not make sense hmm. for it being a present day movie in what way how how is it fifth element? Like I'm I'm just not picturing what you're Well because for the it building. was like it was like the very stark, like monotone colors. It's very I mean, it's it's basically just concrete and then mm -hmm. they're like the like the actual apartments themselves seem normal. Mm -hmm. The hallways and whatnot seemed very industrial. Well I mean and didn't I, like for me. I don't know. Um but it would make sense to me that they would look industrial if you're looking at like low income housing. They're going to try and build it like as simple and as stark and as cheap as you can. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm I'm wondering if that in that area, if that's actually how they're built, because yeah, I don't know. That's not how they look here in the U.S. No, definitely not. But it's definitely a different a different system. So it just felt like the building itself like had some hmm. weird futuristic like right. Everybody is a number and not a person kind of thing. Right. Um, which didn't quite mesh for me when okay. when the movie's supposed to be set. Modern times. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what did you think about the uh, the Nick Frost? Uh, I guess it's more than a cameo. He's a oh. supporting character, but yeah, he's like I probably have... the most well-known person in the movie at the time it was made. Yeah, that was just weird. <laughs> His hair was like very distracting. <laughs> I love that that's what you took out of his performance. I just keep looking at, the, at his it's, hair. Yeah, well, you know, I, know. I focus on what's important. It's true, definitely. Um, yeah, so uh, that's a movie I really like that Britt doesn't. Or maybe she does and she'll have to watch it again. I didn't like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang the first time you made me watch it. Man. Why would you admit to that on, on a recording? I ain't scared. 
All right, so uh, that's it for Attack the Block. Um, so now we will move into, oh, actually, we didn't ask like our questions, but I think it's pretty obvious pretty, you didn't yeah. think it was great. Um, no. Would I recommend it? Meh. Meh. Um, and uh, do, do you see any movies like kind of after this has come out that are similar or did this take from older movies that, that you noticed or does this feel like just kind of an anomaly kind of by itself? I got nothing. You got nothing. All right, cool. So now we're going to move on to the new movies coming out this week. So uh, the first movie we're going to talk about is Lowriders. So Lowriders is about a young street artist in East L.A. caught between his father's obsession with lowrider car culture, his ex-felon brother, and his need for self-expression. So what did you think of the trailer for Lowriders? I would actually watch it. Okay. So what stood out to you? Cars. Cars is that like the, is that the only draw for you? Um, I don't have much take on this, obviously, since it's not my culture. But mm -hmm. um, I think it's I think it's an interesting story to like have like a dad who's actually trying to make a legit business mm -hmm. out of something, and then like having to contend with his two sons going into cr to crime. Like like it's it's interesting to have like the stand up dad like like still like being rough around the edges, but like don't have that life. Like, I'm trying right. to make something better for you. Sure. Why are you choosing that? That's what they expect of us. Right. You right. know, so I'm I'm interested in that. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a movie that could be okay. You know, I, I don't think it's going to be amazing, and I hope it's not bad, but it does feel like one of those kind of middle-of-the-road type movies um, that, could, that could surprise. And those are yeah. always interesting movies to see, uh, especially with that, with a lack of like really big stars, right? Um, and probably lack of a huge release, it might surprise some people and like be really good. So here's hoping. All right, so the next movie on our list, uh, which we almost did on the show, and then I just uh, decided that I didn't hate myself. Um, we were gonna do Snatched. Um, oh, I was like, what are you talking about? Which is a movie starring uh, Amy Schumer and Goldie Hawn uh, playing daughter and mother. So it says, when her boyfriend dumps her before their vacation, a young woman persuades her ultra-cautious mother to travel with her to paradise with unexpected results. So, Britt, are you super excited for the latest Amy Schumer movie? Not anymore. So why not anymore? Uh, okay, so I'm going to tell you exactly when it was not funny to me anymore. Okay. So the first trailer, I was actually like, kind of like, oh, this could be fun. It could be interesting. It could um, be fun to see with your mom. Yeah, yeah, it would be a fun thing to go see with my mom. The roles would be reversed. I'd be the prude that's like, stop doing You'd that. You'd be the ultra-cautious one. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'd be constantly paranoid. Especially <laughs> with my mom, because she has a big fucking mouth. She does. Uh, <laughs> love you. Not that you listen. No. Um, I don't think she knows what a podcast is. I think we're okay. Yeah, she, we're okay. <laughs> and yet, she's like a huge online gamer. Can't figure out why she has disconnects with other technology. Nope. Okay, I'm getting sidetracked. Um, so the moment you realized. Okay, so so the first trailer, I was really interested, thought it could be fun, thought it could be a nice, like, mommy-daughter kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the second trailer came out, and there's, like, something that happens, like, with a drink, and it gets, like, shot all over um, Amy Schumer's face. Okay. And, and it's, like, I mean, it looks like cum. Like that's oh okay. I don't think I saw that trailer. I must have missed that. Trailer. Yeah, it sounds it was, like something I would remember. Yeah. So. so um, after I saw that, I was like, okay, well, I'm done. I think mm. I'm really much over the uh, the super crass comedy that mm. is becoming so common in our generation. 
Right. There was a time when that stuff was like genuinely shocking. Like if you look back to like, there's something about Mary, you know, the kind of infamous hair gel scene. Right. And now it's just, it, it reminds me of when they, um, I think they interviewed Mel Brooks about the scary movie movies mm. and they kept asking when he was going to make another movie. He's like, you know, there's movies now that have like, you know, fake penises being shoved into people's ears. Like, what am I going to do? Wait, like, we've gone so far. And I think that's what it is. Like, I miss some of the subtlety. I also miss the... Uh, also, with that in particular, like, the outright sexism really bugged me. Okay. Uh, like, I feel like it was a very degrading moment. Hmm. Okay. And not funny. And it doesn't change me. anything that, like, uh, that Amy Schumer, I'm sure, like, approved this and probably helped write some of it. Like, that doesn't... No. Help at all? Okay. No. Because for me, it's like... If you're a woman working in an obviously very male-run industry, mm -hmm. it's your job to protect other women. Okay. So you feel like Amy Schumer isn't doing enough to I Well, I mean, out. obviously I haven't seen the entire movie, but mm -hmm. I think, like, there's some shortcuts and shit. Like, because who's going to be laughing at a girl getting cum on her face? Dudes. Right. <laughs> most, most often. Because yeah. if you ever got cum in your eye, that's not funny. Yeah, I don't know. I there even the first trailer, which I was like, okay, whatever. I don't think there was a single moment that really made me laugh out loud. Yeah, there like wasn't maybe even... there's a scene at the very beginning where the guy talks to her at the bar, yes, and she's and... like, "You're a distraction." That was cute. Yeah, that was funny. But like the rest of it, it was just like I don't know, mom and daughter in danger constantly, like fucking shit up. Like I don't know, it could be funny, but nothing struck me as like, oh my god, that's so funny. I can't wait to see that. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Nope. And then my mom would just be angry now if she saw that. Like, she hates Bridesmaids, so there's yeah. no way I could get her to watch that one. No way. She'd be skipping that. All right, so the last movie we're, we're covering today, and the movie we'll be covering on the show, is Guy Ritchie's King Arthur Legend of the Sword, uh, starring Charlie Hunnam and Jude Law. So, I mean, obviously this is the, you know, I wouldn't say it's the Arthurian legend because it's Guy Ritchie. Uh, he's definitely going to have a different look and a different style to this movie. Yeah. Uh, but I, it's based on that. So it's based on, you know, him pulling the sword out of the stone and, you know, taking over his king eventually, I would You're assume. You're king because some watery tart handed you a sword? <laughs> yes. Um, so um, I wanted to ask you, like, how much um, how much familiarity do you have with Guy Ritchie as a director? Like, is this someone that you... Because he did Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, uh, Rock and Rolla... The two Sherlock Holmes movies. Um, so I've seen most of his stuff then, if that's okay. what it is. That's most of it, I think. I yeah. keep waiting for the sequels for Rock and Rolla, and they're not happening. It's when did you fucking time. see Rock and Rolla? I just saw that for the first time this week. Years ago. Man, it was really good. Yeah, um, yeah uh, those need their, their sequels. It's supposed to be a trilogy, um, supposedly. But No, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And but I've good luck getting everyone back. It's a big cast yeah. and full of stars. So good luck with that. Um, so what do you think of someone like Guy Ritchie who kind of made his name in this kind of, these movies about like the London underworld taking on something like King Arthur? I think it's going to be fun and trashy. I think it will be trashy and fun. I think the emphasis will be on trashy. Because <laughs> this was one of those movies, the first trailer I saw was like, oh, that looks terrible. Uh, but then I got Jude Law chewing scenery in the second one, so. Yeah, and the first time I saw it was, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> So, as I mentioned, Charlie Hunnam, Jude Law, um, Eric Bana, also in this, uh, Aiden Gillen of uh, um, Game of Thrones fame. Mm. Um, you can watch Game of Thrones. I know. I he just plays Littlefinger. Okay, thank you. Yep. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it looks like an interesting cast. Okay, well, now I want to see it even more. <laughs> Guys, he's not doing that stupid accent. Which one? <laughs> Everything you see him in, one it's a totally different one. One of the six in the season three. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, what about the trailer stood out to you and made you think like this would be trashy fun? Were there individual moments, or was it just like a general feeling of seeing this trailer? I think it was a general feeling. Is always and always when they do something that's like based on Arthur or whatever and then very we have, loosely based <laughs> and then we have like the the ultra mega modern music yes for the trailer yes. I'm always like yes I'm in yeah but then sometimes you get um oh what was that oh a knight's tale sometimes you get that I loved a knight's tale oh. it has bully music in it it's horrible it's so bad the it thing, also has like two of the guys that I would totally bang the, the only thing good about that movie is Paul Bettany that's it. That's it. Nothing else is good about that movie. That is. By the way, do we have a copy in this house? No. God, why would we? Unless you have it on DVD. We I don't did. have a copy. And it's probably Wait. in there somewhere. No, we'll figure it out later. <laughs> no, no, no. Get up I need with it right now. I need to know. <laughs> I should. You probably threw it out without me knowing. <laughs> I mean, that does kind of sound like me, but. You uh, didn't throw out Daredevil. What the hell? That needs to be. Why do you own that? Jesus Christ, woman. Because. People just buy me shit. Yeah. I also have Journey to the Center of the Earth. The new yeah, one. Never saw it. Okay, seriously, where's my next sale? I don't know. If you really need it, I'll get you a copy. I need it. Sit your it's ass one down. of my sad movies. It is sad. I agree. Shut up. <laughs> All right. I um, will make your insides your out. Is that like a line from something? <laughs> so easy to enrage. Pain. Right now. <laughs> Lots of pain. <laughs> All right, uh, so those are the three movies. So we will be covering uh, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword next week. So, um, oh, I messed it up. Is I'll make your entrails your extrails. Boom. Yeah, I still don't know what that's from. It's from the fucking Knight's Tale. Yeah, that's why I blocked it out. Nope. I'm making you watch it again. No, no, no. Damn, um, I'm sad and it'll make me happy and I need you to cuddle me while I'm watching it. Then I'll cuddle you and fall asleep. No, you won't. Yeah, well. Because last time me. you like watched all of Labyrinth when I fell asleep when I was sick. It's because I was trapped. <laughs> you were laying on my arm what could i do <laughs> yeah another arm could have turned it off but no, no you just sat there and watched it and you act like you don't like it i don't uh anyway uh anything else to add before we uh finish up the show here no oh i got a switch okay that's it yes you do have a switch which you still haven't fucking played get on that i've been depressed well get on that and maybe it'll help <laughs> little happy things sometimes Dave, Dave's encouraging me to use virtual reality to... Well, yeah, real reality, reality sucks. Real reality? Yeah. It's too real? It's, it's too much. It's <laughs> too much. All right. Um, so the next time uh, you hear this podcast, we will be doing an episode on the aforementioned rock and roller to go with the release of King Arthur Legend of the Sword. So until then, I will be here diagnosing your favorites and judging you for what you watch. doing the skype noise it's somehow less annoying than the actual skype noise which is well, like a little impressive with my foley work yeah let's not get crazy i don't know please is the right word you, you didn't get a asmr pleasure from it oh uh, well i don't get that anyway so i'm the wrong person to ask Oh, goodness, goodness, goodness. Sorry to loop you in with known, but I wanted to help you get your thing out.
Oh no, that's fine. Your episode. That thing. No, it's a thing. That's that's more appropriate. All right. So, what time do you have to record with Known? Just as soon as we're done. Okay. So at like one o'clock my time. Cool. Uh, kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I kind of figured you weren't gonna do like a ton. Like, let's talk for another hour. Right. Yeah.